Sunday, July the 3rd. Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everyone. Morning. My name's Claire, most notably the uh, mother of the son who made you do a Mexican wave. Very sorry about that. Don't remember writing that in his script this morning. And uh, you did very well. Some of you now know what a Mexican wave is. So that's an exciting uh, life lesson you've learned. But uh, I'm also part of the team here and uh, we're going to be heading into the second part of Hebrews chapter 12. I spoke on the first three verses a few weeks ago. Um, you'll be relieved to know, oh, that's fallen out. Hang on. That, it was an internet sensation. I had 52 views of that on YouTube. So if you want to catch up, you can be 53rd. That would be great. Go back and have a little look at that. But we're going to recap um, what I said last time, because this passage does follow on very well uh, from what I said a few weeks ago. Those first three verses in Hebrews chapter 12 are probably some of your life verses, probably some of the verses that uh, you guys know really, really well. We talked about the fact that there are a whole crowd or cloud or a group of witnesses, heroes of the faith that have gone before us, cheering us on. We talked about how they were encouraging us to throw off all sin and run the race with perseverance through the conflicts and struggles of life. We talked about the fact that we needed to embrace that process of running the race with endurance because it's good for us. It changes us. It transforms us to live like Jesus did. That's the first three verses. We're now going to look at the next 25. And it doesn't get any easier. As we've just heard, it's all about our favorite subject of discipline. Everyone ready? Oh, you nodded enthusiastically, then that is good. Before we do, let's just pause for a moment and pray, asking that God will speak to us as we hear from his word. Father God, we want to thank you for your word. It says that it's alive and that through it, you speak to us, bringing us truth and manna for every single day. So we come to your word today, trusting that you're going to speak to us again. We open our ears And we prepare our hearts, for we know your words are life-bringing, life-giving, life-changing. So speak, O Lord, we are listening. Amen. So, what is this passage all about? If I was to try and summarize it in a few short words, God is a loving and good father. We can hear his voice. We can receive his encouragement and grow through his discipline. And therefore, we will live for his unshakable kingdom. 
That's really the crux of what this passage is all about. And we're coming to the end of Hebrews. And the writer is trying to encapsulate something of what it means to live a transformed life for Jesus. So hear it again. God is a loving and good father. We can hear his voice and receive his encouragement. We can grow through his discipline so that we can live for his unshakable kingdom. The writer of this passage doesn't begin with what we do for God, the kingdom. It begins with who we are before God and how we can have not only a relationship that hears from him, what a privilege is that, but also a relationship that is shaped by him, the ultimate privilege. So, If you've got a Bible, you'll find it handy. We've got a few floating around, or you can grab your phones. Just don't go to WhatsApp, head to the version instead. Much better for you. And we're going to have a look in detail at some of these verses, beginning with the question, who does the writer of Hebrews here remind us God is? Who is God in this passage? So verses five and six, let's head there first, because it reminds us of the fundamental things about this scripture. And have you forgotten, completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his child? It says, my child, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and he chastens everyone who accepts, he accepts as his child. We are reminded that God is a good and loving father. God is your good and loving Father, God loves you and he doesn't do anything out of love, out without of his love. He, he only does things because he loves you. He doesn't uh, discipline us in any other way than as a loving father. It's pure love, a kind love, a generous love, a hopeful love. God does things for our good because he is good and he is Love. Some of us have had good fathers. And so we relate to God as father with a positive mindset because our earthly fathers were a good picture, a a, a not complete picture, but a good picture of what God could be. I've had a good father, earthly father, and I've seen wonderful examples of fatherhood in this world. But for some of us, the word father comes with a different mindset. For some of us, a father figure has not always been helpful. And so that's why the second point I've got there is that this passage reminds us he's better than an earthly father. The writer here has obviously had a good father because he says, you know, I had a father who I respected. But actually, God is much more loving, much more able, much more amazing than any earthly father. Some of us need to hear that God is not like that father who ruled with anger or a slap. 
God is not like the father who was inconsistent or never there for us. God is not like that father whose voice was negative or harsh. God does not use his love to abuse or neglect us. God's fathering of us is out of a love that is pure, a love that is kind, a love that is holy, a love that is welcoming, a a love that is always present, a love that is consistent, joy-giving, not angry or harsh. Not only is God's love like that, God's ways are pure. God's ways are kind. God's ways are holy. God's ways are welcoming. God's ways are present, consistent, joy-giving. God's ways are never angry or harsh. So as we think about this today, let's think about our heavenly Father If it helps to think a little bit about your earthly father, then that's great. But let's not have God the Father clouded by what an earthly father has or has not been to each of us. For some of us, it might be more helpful to think about a good teacher or a coach or somebody who's been there through a race in your life. I went to uh, Sam's kind of celebration assembly on Friday and the headmistress talked about a teacher who, when she was 11 years old, many years before this moment, stood up for her and gave her the courage to find her own voice and how that had shaped her to want to become a teacher as well. So maybe that's more of a helpful thought for you as we think about the fatherhood of God and about his discipline. So God is a good and loving father. He's better than any earthly father that we could ask for. But also he stands with us in discipline. It's verse 12, uh, verse 11 here. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. God is in us, in with us in those unpleasant moments, all those painful moments. God is with us. He doesn't say, I'm going to discipline you, but then leave us to work it out on our own. He's there. He's with us and he's for us. Verses 11 to 17 are uh, quite complicated, <laughs> but I think what it is saying is that the father we have who disciplines us wants the best for us. Later, this is in verse 11, the discipline produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. It's always good when you look back, isn't it? And you can see how you've grown. It's always good to look back and see how you've grown. Again, on Friday, I heard a story about uh, one of the speakers at this assembly. He was an opera singer, and he's been on uh, all kinds of movie scores. So he's been on Harry Potter. That's pretty cool. Captain Underpants, less cool. But he had done really, really well as an opera singer and still is singing in that way. He went back to his school reports from when he was eight and nine. And he had a look at his music report, thinking that it would say something like, shows promise, this guy's going to go far. No. He looked at his school report, and do you know what it said for music? Satisfactory. He said, if only the little eight-year-old boy knew then what he would become, he might have felt more confident. 
As we look back, we see how our lives have been shaped. As we look back, even perhaps over difficult seasons, we can see how God has shaped us. If we knew the end from the beginning, perhaps we would do it differently, but that's not the way life is, is it? God shapes us because he wants our best. Those first couple of verses we looked at a few weeks ago talked about how we need to throw things off that hold us back from running the race with Jesus. God wants the very best for you and me because he knows the end from the beginning. He longs for us to be more like him, to be more loving, to be more patient, whatever it is that he's training us in at the time. Verses 23 and 24, though, remind us that God is the one who heals and forgives us. As we perhaps look back, we recognize there are things we've done wrong or things that we need to change or things that have wounded and hurt us. This passage on discipline doesn't go over and just say, well, you need to sort it by yourself. It says, no, there is one who will forgive and one who will heal and one who will love. There is a God also who speaks to us. And we're going to think a lot about that in a moment. So I'm going to brush over that. And we also have a God who is king of an unshakable kingdom. That's where it ends. It says, I'm changing you. I'm shaping you. I'm, di- I'm disciplining you so that you can take up your place in my unshakable kingdom. Now, sometimes the world doesn't feel very unshakable, does it? It feels a bit shaky at points. It might feel a bit anxious. It might feel a bit unnerving. I love this little reminder right at the end of this passage that we have a king who has an unshakable kingdom and he invites us to be part of that. He never says that it's going to be easy. He never says it's going to be straightforward. But he says, with me, I can make you unshakable too. That's a good invitation. I'm in. I'm up for it. So who is God? Just in those few passages, we've a few verses, we've seen who God is. And in the light of all of that, we can now look about the way he disciplines us. How he disciplines us. And I'm going to look at two ways that God disciplines us. There are loads, absolutely loads of ways. But I thought I'd just pick out two, otherwise we'll be here and you'll all be moaning you're missing your lunch. We're going to have two. The first one is that hard times... Hard circumstances, uh, conflict struggles, like we looked at last time, are often very disciplining of us. Second one we're going to think about in a moment is that we are often disciplined because we deliberately resist God. We're coming to that in a minute. So let's think about this first one. Hard times are hard, aren't they? <laughs> Conflict is conflicting. Anxious times can produce anxiety in us. And the Bible never says become a Christian and it's going to get easy or you're never going to have troubles. In fact, it says exactly the opposite. And the writer of Hebrews was writing to a church family who were being persecuted for even their belief in Jesus. But how many of us could say, When circumstances are hard, and they are really challenging, 
it forces us to learn some lessons. It forces us to rely on God in a different way. It forces us to perhaps change things that we are struggling with. It forces us to perhaps reach out to somebody and ask for help. Hard times can be hugely disciplining for us. But also, and maybe this is only true for me, but I'm not sure, and you're going to get a moment to talk about this in a moment. Often in hard times, we forget the things we learnt in the light. We forget the things that are good for us. Now, I've got a silly example, um, but you know me. Last few months, we've been trying really hard to be a bit healthier in life. Um, and I was doing really well. Aquarobics nearly finished me off, but I love it. And I had given up eating bread and things like that, which I felt so much better about. Uh, the alcohol consumption had been dropped. The exercise had been removed, you know, put up, removed. That would have been nice. <laughs> Hadn't. Uh, and we were doing really, really well. The last three weeks, though, have been unbelievably busy. Unbelievably busy. So I was feeling really good three weeks ago. Exercise was going well. Healthy eating was going well. Trousers were getting a little looser. That was good. But actually, then busyness came along, circumstances took over, my diary became full, and everything I'd learnt in the last few months went out the window. Busyness took over my life, and I started eating toast for breakfast again. I couldn't get to aquaerobics, so I just didn't do anything instead. All of those things that had been good for me when life was relatively straightforward, as soon as it became more complicated, disappeared. And I sat with God this week and I said, the trousers are getting tighter again. And he said, do you not remember the things you learnt? Did you not remember that actually they needed to carry on in the busy season because they're good for you, because they're good for you. There are so many things we learn when life is good that God is teaching us then. We just take them for granted. We think they're good, they're fine. And then when the hard season comes, they're the first things to go out the window. God's discipline is about reminding us to keep the good things that are good for us, that are right for us, coming to church, worshipping, praying with others, uh, trusting him, all of those kind of things. We need to keep those going in the hard times as well as the good. And in fact, the hard times are the times when those things shape us even more and make those hard times feel better. It helps us learn the lessons that we are trying to learn. When we hit hard times, the things of the light often feel a long way off. We start believing the lies instead of God's truth. We stop listening to his voice and start listening to everyone else. And perhaps the circumstances overwhelm us because we haven't brought some of the things that we know are good for us into that season. Discipline is not easy. None of the circumstances we face are easy. But let's say to God, remind me of the things I need that are good for me, even in the times that are hard. I've been talking for a while. So why don't you discuss that statement with the next person next to you? 
do we naturally forget the things of the light when we're in dark seasons? Do we find that we throw those things that are good for us out the window when we get too busy or when circumstances are hard? Maybe it's just me and I'm happy to hear that. But I wonder whether you guys just want for uh, literally two minutes with the person next to you to discuss that statement. Do you think it's true? Can you think of an example in your own life? Go. Another 30 seconds, so make sure everyone gets a chance to talk. Okay, if you can wrap up your conversations... Perhaps something you want to continue during the coffee time afterwards, a discussion or a praying for each other. Discipline in hard times is often about God making sure we remember the things that are good for us. They're so easy to forget. But actually, discipline is often God just reminding us, do you know what, you haven't listened to my voice this week, or haven't opened your Bible, or do you know what, you need to hear this, because this is true. Discipline in hard times is often about God making sure we remember the good things that we need. Now I'm going to talk about sin. Nervous giggle. The second way that God often disciplines us is because we deliberately don't want God's discipline. We turn our back on him. That's what sin uh, it is. In the English language, there's a big I in the middle of the word sin because it's about putting myself first. The I is there. I'm putting myself at the middle of my life, not God. I'm trusting myself that I can fix this, not asking for God's help. I'm trusting that my own ability and knowledge will sort me out rather than allowing God's transforming power to be at work in us. 
And we've reminded ourselves, didn't we, right at the beginning of chapter 12, that God doesn't want us to be pulled around by sin. In fact, it's like a heavy burden on our shoulders that stops us running the race. And we reminded ourselves last time that sin uh, has many different guises. There are sins that are easily avoided but aren't. Eating toast for breakfast is not good for me. But I still like it, especially with peanut butter. Sins can be admired by the world, but they're not good for us. There are some sins that ensnare us and hold us in cycles that can be really harmful. And there are some sins that are particularly dangerous for us. But all are sins. The Bible doesn't say one is worse than the other. In fact, it says all have sinned and fallen short of God. We sometimes deliberately don't want God's discipline and we sin. The good news is, and we reminded ourselves of this at the beginning, didn't we? That God forgives us. In a few moments, we're going to share communion together. The uh, example that we have is in Jesus. And in communion, we remember and pause and take a moment to recognize that Jesus hung on a cross so our sin could be forgiven. So all of those things that we have done wrong by putting ourselves first rather than God can be forgiven. Sin's not an easy subject for us to think about because often it comes with harsh consequences in this world. And that is why we need God's healing. And that is why we need his restoring power. And that is why we need his forgiveness. Because when we bring it to God, he not only wipes it away, but he also restores what is lost Sometimes we do have to live with the consequences of that action, of that sin. But he helps us with those in his grace and goodness. Often on Facebook, this pops up for me. And I smile at it and I've heard it many times before. But it popped up again and I was trying to write this talk. Yes, I shouldn't have been on Facebook. I should have been writing the talk. But there we go. And I'm sure you've seen it before. But religion says... I've messed up. My dad's going to kill me. The gospel of Jesus says, I've messed up. I need to call my dad. How true is that? See, God wants to meet us in our sin. He loves it when we come to him and say, I don't want to run from you anymore. I need your help. I need your help. Hebrews often brings out stories of the Old Testament, doesn't it? And we've uh, looked at a few over the course of this time. And it brings out the story of Abel, which I'd love you to read at some point, perhaps this week. Because he sinned against his father. And because of that, he lost his birthright. Because of that, he, he didn't fulfill what he was born to do. And the reason that this is brought into this Hebrews passage here is it's to remind us that the gospel of Jesus says something very different. I've messed up. I'm not going to run because I've lost my birthright. I'm going to call my dad because he's going to restore it to me. That's why that passage about Abel is in there. 
So how does God discipline us? Well, he disciplines us through the hard times by trying to remind us of the good and the strong things we need to hold to. He disciplines us through calling us back and asking us to come to forgiveness. But most of all, he disciplines by speaking to us. And I don't know about you, often when I'm uh, busy or in having a hard time or sinning, actually God's voice is the last thing I want to tune into because I'm a bit scared of what he's going to say. And then when I do, I listen and I think I should have done that earlier. You see, God's voice is so important in the way that he disciplines us. The Bible, in fact, Jesus in John chapter 10 reminds us that all of us can hear God's voice. Isn't that amazing? All of us can hear God's voice. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. It's such a well-known verse, but it's such a miracle that we can hear God's voice. And how does God discipline us? Well, he speaks to us like a good shepherd. He speaks to us. We went to Scotland last year and we got stuck behind a herd of sheep on a really narrow road. Has anyone ever done that? We were there for ages and I was hungry. It was not good. But we watched the shepherd trying to get this crowd of sheep down this narrow road. And as I observed, uh, there were some sheep that were just following the crowd. You know, there's the sheep in front. I will keep walking. But I learned something about sheep. They were really rebellious. Some of them decided to take a shortcut by jumping over the wall and going around the field and try and get in the other way. Uh, Others of them tried to clamber over the top of the sheep in front. That's an interesting strategy, isn't it? Sheep were quite rebellious, I have learnt. But then I watched the shepherd, and he had a sheepdog. (laughs) And that sheepdog knew what was going on. He spotted any sheep trying to get over a wall, and he was there. He spotted a naughty sheep trying to climb over another one, and he was there. And how was that sheepdog controlled? By the voice of the shepherd. It was fascinating to watch. We wound the windows down and off the shepherd went. He got those sheep to that field altogether. There was not one that was lost. The voice of the shepherd directed the flock, even when they were a bit rebellious. He brought them back together and he got them to the safety of the field. We need to learn to listen to God's voice. He's speaking to us even right now. And in the midst of hard times, in the midst of a race that feels really long, in the midst of times when we know we're not living the way God wants us to, instead of running away and being the rebellious sheep jumping over the wall, let us stop and find the voice of the shepherd. And I can guarantee that if you listen He's going to remind you of his grace. He's going to remind you that you're welcomed through forgiveness. And he is going to remind you that he is your good father. Your good father. One more thing, though, that God does through discipline is that he sends others to help us. That's you and me, friends. Say this all the time. You're probably really bored, but I'm so grateful God doesn't ask me to travel on my own. You guys are always there for me. Me and Katie in the office probably laugh and cry in equal measures because she's always there for me. She's encouraging me. She's supporting me. And most importantly, she's helping me hear God's voice. What a privilege to have that in my life. God has sent others for us through this disciplining journey. It's not always easy to say, 
can you help me? But actually, when we do ask and someone prays for us, reminding us of God and who he is, wow, it's amazing. It's amazing. So how does God discipline? Well, he always speaks to us like a good shepherd and he reminds us of his grace. He welcomes us through forgiveness and he sends others to help. And I'm massively grateful for that. We're going to have communion in a moment. But I just want us to pause before we rush into communion and give God the chance to speak. Often, we rush straight to the what challenge have you got for me today, God, in discipline. But all I want us to ask God, and I'm going to give us just a few moments of complete silence. What word of encouragement has God got for you today? Perhaps a Bible verse pops in your mind in the silence. Look it up, see what it says. Perhaps just one single word like grace or love pops into your mind. Ask God to open what that means up for you. He might give you an essay, write it down because you'll forget it by coffee time. But Lord, let's ask him now. We know that you discipline us. We know that life can feel like constant discipline sometimes. But we pause in this moment to hear your voice because you always discipline us with kindness and encouragement. Like a good father, you offer uh, us encouragement along the way, which often spurs us to good works, to good things, to peace or to uh, a change of circumstance or forgiveness, way more than a harsh word. So Lord, just in these moments, offer me a word of encouragement for today. Lord, I want to thank you for that word that you've just given me. I want to thank you that you encourage us. I want to thank you that you speak to us. What a miracle that is. And I ask, Lord, that uh, we take what you've just said to us and use it, not only to uh, fill our minds with truth, but also to spur us along to live in that unshakable kingdom that you promised. I'm just going to ask the band to come up. And let's just stay in this moment of worship. We're going to sing together in a moment. But I want to read um, Hebrews 12 to you from the message paraphrase. Eugene Peterson uh, has paraphrased this passage so beautifully. So maybe just close your eyes. And I want to read it to you as we finish 
Let's talk together. And then we'll stand to sing. God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. He's treating you as dear children. This trouble you're in isn't punishment. It's training, the normal experience of children. Only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. We respect our own parents for training. So why not embrace God's training of how we can live? While we were children, our parents did what they seemed best. But God is doing what is best for us, training us to live God's holy best. At the time, discipline doesn't seem much fun. It always feels like it's going in against the grain. Later, of course, though, it pays off big time. It is the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. So don't sit around on your hands. No more dragging your feet. Clear the path for long-distance runners so no one will trip and fall, so no one will step in a hole and sprain an ankle. Let's help each other out and run for it.